Hey guys, welcome back to On She Goes the Podcast. We are now in season four. Episode one is going to be a little different than our past episodes. Today you'll be hearing stories from myself, the rest of the On She Goes crew, and a few of our travel friends. And also, if you're interested in getting some travel tips and resources, or you just want to chat with us, please feel free to join our On She Goes travel community group on Facebook. You want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Picture it. Montreal, Quebec City, Canada, the weekend of December 1st, 2011. Myself and three of my homegirls depart the Amtrak Adirondack line and head to our hotel for the girls' weekend of a lifetime. It was me, Gabby, Dizzy, and Heather, and we were going to see Prince. I had seen Prince many times before. In fact, this was going to be my third time for this particular tour and the seventh in my lifetime. This moment was special because this was my first time traveling internationally to see my favorite artist perform. The day before the show, the girls and I decided to check out the cuteness of downtown Montreal, partake in some delicacies and libations. In my eyes, Montreal was the closest I was ever going to get to Paris. So being the woman that I am, I insisted on having escargot with my red wine at the little French bistro we went to for happy hour. It was delicious. I love a good out of the ordinary dish, and I've never met a meal drenched in butter that I did not like. After happy hour, myself and the girls went to Moishi's, the steakhouse. At the time, we were all in our Crown Royal on the Rocks bag, which was a nice pairing to the steak. We were all drinking except for Dizzy, who was pretending not to be pregnant at the time. Anyway, the food and drinks were great. The service was also great until our server confidently referred to Gabby as Monique. Okay, okay, pause. Gabby is famous, but real AF. She will check you, but she didn't get a chance to because the three of us had no problem jumping to her defense and letting sis know that she was way out of pocket. Anyway, fast forward to Saturday night. It's time. If I recall correctly, all of us had on Prince apparel, t-shirts, symbols, etc. Our seats were so good. Prince killed that stage and had Canada more hype than I could ever imagine. I think I may have sat in my seat for a total of 10 minutes the entire time. There was even one point at which I contemplated jumping down into the rafters to run on stage, but that's neither here nor there. Later that night, we were all high from the performance and Gabby gets a text. She gets quiet and says to me, Riri, do you want to go to the Prince after party? Because if you do, I just got invited and I can get you in. This blew my mind. I started to have a mini panic attack at the idea that I could possibly meet my idol. Everyone was down to roll, except Dizzy, because, you know, she was pretending not to be pregnant. This was actually the biggest decision of my life, and I couldn't make it. Well, my nerves got the best of me, and I decided against it. At the time, I didn't feel a huge shadow of regret. Gabby had already met Prince, so she wasn't tripping. Heather was pretty pissed at me, and Dizzy, well, she was filled with too much progesterone to have an opinion. The weekend went on casually as usual. Today is April 18th, 2019. 
four days away from the three-year anniversary of Prince's death. Every year around this time, I regret not taking the opportunity to hit that after party, which is now why I rarely say no to anything. I'll end this story with, sorry, Heather, thank you, Gabourey, and well, we knew you were pregnant, is. <laughs> the end. Hey, it's Farron Nickdell. Uh, the story I'm going to tell today is about some of my earliest memories um, traveling to Iran in the summertime. So just to give everyone some context, both my parents were born and raised in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran. Um, they came over when they were 15 and 16 separately, and then weirdly enough, somehow found each other in Spokane, Washington, of all places, for college. Um, so a lot of their family is back in Iran still. With that being said, it was really important for uh, my parents to instill the sense of pride and culture in my sister and I growing up. And we were taught Farsi at a very young age. But while I was learning Farsi, I was also starting to develop and learn English as my primary language. So uh, they made it an effort to take my sister and I back to Iran in the summertime. And one of my earliest memories, I was probably five or six, actually, let's say five to seven range. Um, and we went to Iran for a very long time. So in my small brain at that age, it, it probably felt like three months, but maybe it was a month long. And, you know, I was away from my friends. I was away from everything that was familiar and, and what I considered home. And I was in this new far off land that, you know, speaking Farsi was still pretty hard for me. And um, my sister and I really just had each other and we had our close family, but we were young and we wanted to go outside and, and play with the kids. Um, so every evening, soccer is a really, really big sport in Iran. And every evening, um, this soccer, uh, I guess crew or like gang would just um, would start they would start a pickup game in uh, my grandma's uh, kind of like courtyard area and my sister and I would peer up from the sixth floor of her apartment and look down and see all these kids that are our age and maybe a little bit older just playing soccer and having a really fun time and it looked amazing and we were kind of just like looking up from the window and um, wanting to go and play ourselves. So slowly but surely we got ourselves down there and the evening soccer pickup games would would start and my sister and I would sit on the side. Again, our Farsi's not really great. We don't know any of these kids. Um, but one of my good friends, her name was Sippy De. She was a good friend in the sense that our families were friends. So I knew her that way. Um, but Sippy De had come over to me and asked me and my sister if we wanted to play soccer. And um, that, that I guess, is all it takes when you're a little kid. You just need one kid to come over and ask you to play. And we did, and we it was so fun. We would, like, go from, we would pretend we were in the World Cup, and we would run around, and we'd get all bruised and scratched up because we were playing on, not grass, but on um, stone. and. You know, there would be older kids and 
people would be, you know, making fun of each other or, um, you know, what you do in a competition. And, and slowly but surely, my Farsi started getting better and better as I would show up each evening and play soccer with all these Iranian kids. Um, and that, that was probably one of the most, like, pure and, um, like, incredible moments of traveling when you no longer feel like a tourist and you start feeling like, you know, you really belong. And at the end of that summer, I remember my Farsi had gotten so good just because I was hanging out with all these little kids that I actually started dreaming in Farsi. And I remember it being a little bit of a weird transition when I got back to the States because there would be words that I would want to say in Farsi that just made the sentence stronger, made so much more sense. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible summer. Um, I made really close friends that sadly I've, I've no longer kept in touch with, um, but I'll always have those memories really near and dear to my heart. And soccer was kind of the, you know, universal language that everyone that a lot of the world speaks and that's all it took me being good at soccer and my sister and I wanting to play to make um, friends and to really feel like we belonged in Tehran. This is Becca, and I'm going to tell a story today about my first true travel experience. So my entire life, you know, I grew up in Texas, like middle class, overprotective Latino family. So we didn't really go anywhere. So I didn't really get to start traveling until I got to college and I was making my own money to save up and go places. So when I was in college, I had this roommate. It was a whole other thing. <laughs> and she was like, I'm going to New York to visit my sister who's interning at Kleinfeld. Do you want to come with me for my birthday? And I was like, oh my God, yes. Because I loved the idea of New York. You know, everyone has this, I think especially when you are in such a bubble growing up, you have this romanticized view of New York. Like, oh my God, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like Sex and the City. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be everything you want it to be. So I was like, is my first opportunity to go? And they're pretty much going to like let me crash on the floor of their hotel room. Awesome. So I bought a flight on Spirit, mistake number one. Um, and so I, I was a very obviously novice traveler at that point. And so I packed this giant, giant ass suitcase and I got on Spirit and like the flight was uh, the worst flight I'd ever been on. But on top of that, the suitcase cost $80 there and back. And then I lugged it through the subway system from LaGuardia Airport all the way to the financial district with my friend's sister who picked me up from the airport. We, My roommate and I were on separate flights because we were coming from separate cities at the time. And so I, I get off the subway with my giant-ass suitcase, put it all away in her, you know, box-sized apartment, probably the size of this sound box that I'm in right now, like four by four feet, I swear. Um, she was like, I, I got to study, so if you want to go explore, like, go for it. And, you know, Sarah will be back in town at, like, 5 p.m. It was noon. I was like, sweet, I'm going to go live that New York Minute life. So I I looked really cute. You know, I, I was really feeling myself in this outfit. I had this cute little floral skirt on with this knit black sweater from Urban. Mind you, it is June, so it is hot. Uh, and I also had these, like, booties from, like, Forever 21. They were cheap, not good for your feet, uh, tall booties that I was like, yeah, I'm going to look so cute in New York and walk around. It's going to be so much fun. 
Well, I'm I'm walking all the way from the, I got from the financial district to uh, Central Park, so it's it's a pretty long ways. And I just walked. I was too afraid of the subway at that time because I'm very directionally challenged. So I was like, this is not the first step. And so I get to Central Park and I'm like almost in tears at this point because I'm in so much pain because I've been walking the city for like four hours in these boots and. My roommate calls me. She's like, "Hey, we're back. Like, can you can you make it back? Like, we're gonna go to dinner." And so I cried the entire walk back. And obviously, it took me less time than it had taken me all day because I wasn't stopping anywhere. But I I was in so much pain for the rest of the trip. I didn't wear <laughs> those boots ever again. Learned my lesson. And then later in that trip, my roommate got sick, and so they ended up staying in. But I was like, absolutely not. Like, I'm in New York. It's you know, the city that never sleeps. I want to go do a bunch of stuff. And so I got on the subway, you know, and as I mentioned, I am very directionally challenged. And so I was trying to go to Fifth Avenue. You know, I wanted to go to Tiffany & Co and act like I was, you know, a rich Southern girl who's getting proposed to soon by my Ring by Spring Baylor style. And uh, Mind you, I, I barely had a boyfriend at that point. Uh, and I am trying to get uptown. I hopped on the, the downtown train and I went all the way to like 55th, whatever stop that is at the end of the downtown train. So I ended up in like deep Brooklyn. And I remember being on the train panicking because my phone was dying, had no service, and I had no idea where I was. And they didn't know where I was because I was like, I'll meet y'all later. So I panic called my mom with the little service and the little battery I had, and I was like, hey, can you find my iPhone, track me? I, I don't know where I am, and I'm very scared. Because <laughs> it was empty, like the train was empty, it was getting pretty late. I, I am Puerto Rican, and you know, New York has a ton of Puerto Ricans. And so, you know, I have people on the street being like, hey, Boricua, you know, and I'm like panicking, like someone's gonna like come and try to snatch me. I didn't speak enough Spanish. And my mom goes, honey, you're in deep Brooklyn. Like you are, you are nowhere near Fifth Avenue. And I was like, well, fuck. So hop back on the train, turned around. My roommate and her mom are freaking out. Like, where are you? Are you okay? Are you safe? Finally make it back to them, wasted a whole day because I was just completely lost in the subway. And finally make it back to them hangry because I haven't eaten also at this point. And then we finally ate and it was it was fine. <laughs> but at the end of that trip, I really learned that as much as I had built up New York in my head, probably like most people, New York wasn't for me, I think. You know, I visited and I was like, wow, this was a very eye-opening experience. I really thought like post-grad, this is where I wanted to go, just like pack my bags and move to New York. And I'm very thankful for that shamble show of my first true independent travel experience, like independent for my family travel experience because I learned a lot about <laughs> New York, learned a lot about my lack of navigation skills and learned what I like and what I don't like. And New York really taught me New York is fun, but I don't know if it was for me, especially at that time, if I could have done it post-grad. So I'm so glad I took that trip because I was so ready to blindly just move to New York post-graduation and just like do the big New York dream and then like cry every night because I was living in like 
you know, a box and didn't like my roommates or something. So it was, it was, it was quite a trip. <laughs> it was so, so, and I've had quite a many good experiences since then going to New York, but that first one was quite the wild ride. Hi, it's Vivian. Uh, today my story is about my travel in Mexico City. One of my favorite experiences was this Christmas in Mexico City. I was there with three guys, which was already super fun, but one of our most ridiculous days was my last night there. We were in this super cute boutique store called Hi Buy, and one of the guys was feeling gassy and farted. Yeah, so I stepped out for some fresh air, and I see this guy walking towards me with groceries, and I squinted and realized it was my friend Jamie from Portland. He had moved down there a few months ago, and he didn't know that I was in town. He told us that there was a crazy party that was happening that night and said that we should go. That same night, I had girlfriends from college coming down for their own trip. So we all met up, the guys I planned the trip with, Jamie from Portland, Mel from college, and it was a serendipitous moment of all these people who've known me in different parts of my life, and we're all together now in this Uber. And of course, I had this moment of like, oh my god, you guys. I can't believe we're all here. And they're kind of rolling their eyes, but they love me anyways. So we get to the party and we didn't realize it was a queer drag party that took up three stories of a building. It took forever to get in, but it was totally worth the wait. The first floor was a lot of pop music. And then the basement was like hip hop and tons of couples making out and against the wall. And it was really steamy and hot. <laughs> And then on the roof is this like EDM house party. When we were on the roof, I felt like I was in an episode of Skins where everyone around me is just kind of like looking up at the sky and dancing and all these colors and everyone's beautiful. So we pretty much just spend the whole night dancing and getting past our tacos, going around Mexico City out till like 4 a.m. and then had to catch my flight at like 9. Um, but what I just couldn't believe about this trip was just how small the world was and how easily it felt like home. Just to see some familiar faces of, oh, this random guy walking down the street, I know him. <laughs> and then having my friend from college who I haven't seen in four years, maybe even like six, um, come through and it was just so easy and fun. But yeah, that's my one of my favorite travel experiences. While even thinking about a story to tell, I felt like I had to share something that was like super insightful or like changed my life. But honestly, it was just a really fun night. And I feel like that's why we travel. It's go have fun, go see things, go meet random people and like just enjoy life. You know, it doesn't always have to be so serious. It's Rebecca from On She Goes, and today I'm going to tell you a story about my first international trip. Um, so imagine if you can, it is 2006, actually uh, the end of 2005. Um, I was a junior at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, ILL, um, and we had this thing called a bar crawl where if you were in a student organization, 
you would just go to all the campus bars on one night. And I went to a bar crawl for the American Marketing Association, because uh, I did have, um, I was a, a marketing student. So I went to that one, even though I didn't have any friends there. Um, and I didn't really want to make any friends there. <laughs> that kind of sounds awful in retrospect. But uh, so I kind of kept to myself. Plus, I wasn't um, drinking age yet. I was still 20 at the time. So uh, we get to our last stop, which is this bar called Cam's. And if you have ever been to the University of Illinois, that one is the scuzziest, most hole in the wall, kind of disgusting place. Like you, you step on the floor and it takes a few seconds for your foot to come back up once you pull it back up. So it was that type of place. But they were having a competition where you could win a trip to Mexico. So um, I put my name down and one of the um, stipulations was if your name got called, you were out. So it was a reverse elimination thing across four rounds because they were giving away four trips. So we went to CAMS for the bar crawl. I signed up for this contest and then just completely forgot about it. Then in January of 2006, I got an email that said that I had been chosen as one of the finalists. And so I had to come back to CAMS and potentially win a trip to Mexico. So I went there and I had to show up at around 6 p.m. I had to stay there through close because there were four separate draws. So I could have won at any time of the night, but they spaced them out about two hours each so that you had to stay there the whole time. But keep in mind again, like, didn't drink, I uh, was too young, and again, it's like the scuzziest bar on the campus, so I kinda, I think I brought a book that I was reading at the time, it might have been like a Harry Potter book, and I read that for a few hours while I waited. So um, the first draw, I didn't win. The second draw, I didn't win. Um, the third draw, I didn't win either. But the fourth one, at 1.39 a.m., I believe, they did not call my name, so I won the prize. And I got uh, two round-trip tickets to Acapulco for spring break, which is a, a big thing, especially on like a Big Ten campus. So myself and then the three other winners from the night all kind of coordinated. We said we were gonna hang out, and then the question kind of became, who am I gonna bring? but there really wasn't a question. Um, I brought my older sister. So um, breaking it to my mom, <laughs> I had won a trip to Acapulco. I think that within that year, they had cut the mayor's head off and put it on a stick. And they were walking in around the city just to um, protest the way that he had been treating the citizens there. So imagine my mom sending two of her three children <laughs> to a city where the mayor had just been decapitated. Uh, <laughs> so it was it was tough. She was incredibly scared. Plus, my mom is just generally fearful. Um, so we went to Mexico and honestly had a great time. I think that the other three people, the other three um, people who had won the contest, one girl's family tagged along because they were nervous. So she had her mom and dad and her boyfriend. So I'm sure she had a lot of fun that week. Um, and there was another couple that just came by themselves. And then there was another set of friends who kind of kept to themselves, but they were cool. Uh, so it was, it was basically like me and my sister. 
because like of course we knew each other the best so we went around and we walked around the town and we went to the local malls and we went to the movie theater and we went and we went to the Zocalo and I just remember everybody else in our group being so terrified when we told them because we would all meet at breakfast to reconvene and tell stories about what we did and they would always say well you know we just laid on the beach or you know we um went to the bar because I think we had like an open bar type of uh wristband type of thing where it was like unlimited drinks but again wasn't really a big drinker at the time so that's those are the stories that they were telling and then me and my sister would be like oh we went to we hopped on the bus and went to the walmart or you know we went to the market um and they'd be like oh my gosh you guys left the street and we were just like uh yeah we we grew up i'm gonna i'm gonna say lower lowest middle class if that and that is a stretch so we aren't really scared of much i'm not sure those two equate to each other but we grew up on the south side of chicago um and we could we can handle ourselves and it was it was very interesting to see how the rest of the group interacted with the locals you know if at all we made friends with the staff um and we made friends with people that we met in the streets and i don't think that the rest of the group even had that in mind as as an option as a possibility i think that they were kind of looking at them from like a hospitality angle which is you know incredibly western centric i think we were able to have a better more full experience than them though in retrospect some of the things that we did weren't the smartest like we did follow this man who i really 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 wanted a sombrero um we just we walked down the street my sister and i we saw this man holding a sign that said sombreros and so we followed him um i'm pretty sure it was like a two mile walk we followed him to this like very very tiny zocalo but once we got there it was full of like all sombreros and like all other types of like tchotchkes and souvenirs that you could bring back it probably wasn't the safest for us to have done that but at the time we just i just really wanted a sombrero but yeah, overall, very fulfilling experience. I feel like I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about traveling with other people. Um, I learned a lot about Mexico and, you know, the, the system of their society um, and kind of the way that all of the, the different socioeconomic strata exist. Because we were staying at this lovely five-star hotel that they had gotten for us. And it was just so weird because as soon as you walked out onto the street, um, two minutes in either direction, it was not as pristine, you know, and it wasn't as well kept, of course. And you could just see the disparity in all of the, the people who lived there. And that was something that really stuck with me. So I try to be a more conscious tourist and I try to um, just think about the impact that I have on the places that I visit you know, not being that type of person who just goes uh, for the tourism and the Instagram and things like that. And up next for our contributor reading, we have Ndidi Obasi. My name is Ndidi and I'm here to tell you about how to avoid a thousand dollar travel mistake. So my husband Evan and I we're still on a high from our summer honeymoon in Lisbon. And when my friend Chanel suggested a trip to Paris in the spring to celebrate her 25th birthday, we immediately jumped at the chance to get back to Europe. Plus, 
neither one of us had been to Paris. So we thought, oh, this would be a very special and, you know, romantic experience in such an iconic city to share together for the first time. Everything seemed to be going so well. We got round trip tickets for $350 each, such a steal. My in-laws graciously agreed to watch our dog Bruno for us. We even planned a little day trip to Brussels, complete with an extensive chocolate walking tour. Yum. As the months and then the days wound down to take off, we became increasingly giddy with excitement and would often talk about lazy days roaming off on side streets, catching the Eiffel Tower dazzling at night, and scarfing down literally every croissant and baguette in sight. At last, the day came and we packed the car up, dropped our sweet little Bruno off at his grandparents, and headed up to New York to fly out. We got to New York so early that we even had time to wander through Queens for a bit before making it to JFK. We got to the terminal and walked up to the self-serve kiosk to check in. I swiped my passport, it quickly got approved, then Evan swiped his. Big red letters, passport not valid, see attendant. My heart immediately fell to my feet. No freaking way, this is not happening. We frantically checked the expiration date, June 10th, 2019, and that was strange because it was only March 18th, so clearly there was a mistake. I mean, at least that's what we kept telling ourselves as we agonized in the long line, waiting to speak to an attendant. I kept thinking, had I missed something? I scanned through as many emails from the airline as I could find in my inbox, and I didn't see anything about entry requirements in France. I went online, I searched everything I could, and I couldn't find much besides, you know, not needing a visa. Evan and I were trying our hardest to stay positive. We kept taking deep breaths and saying, there's no way they won't let you get on that plane. There's no way they won't let you get on that plane. My mind was racing. I was just thinking about all the plans we made, all the money we had spent. But more importantly, I just kept thinking, I can't do Paris without him. After what felt like a lifetime, we made it to an attendant. We explained what we saw on the screen and she asked for Evan's passport. She took a look at the passport, then at our flight information, looked back at the passport again. Then she said, sir, you can't board this flight. You're 13 days short. Um, short of what? Evan asked. She said, your passport must be valid three months after the date of your departure from France. I was speechless. Surely there was something I missed somewhere, you know, an asterisk that I overlooked or maybe some fine print that I must have blew past in my, you know, exhilaration over the last five months of planning this trip to the City of Lights. And we refused to believe that this was the end of our trip. After a little bit of help from the attendant, we did learn that there was a passport agency in Manhattan that Evan could get a same-day passport from. But in order to do that, he would have to rebook his flight, get a hotel for the night, get passport photos taken, fill out the forms in advance, be in line by 5 a.m. to be the first one in the door when they open at 8.30 a.m. and cross his fingers and hope that they could get him a passport at least by noon so he could make it back to the airport to fly out later that evening. Whew. But after 30 hours of separation and pure anxiety and stress, Evan and I found ourselves at one of the most magical places in the world, Disneyland Paris. 
So I share this story because I want to recognize in hindsight how stupid we were for simply assuming that because we're Americans going to Europe, we didn't need to do anything else but show up and have a good time. So wrong. In fact, France and 25 other European countries require that your passport be valid three months after your departure date. And just about every other country has different rules that can range from zero days to one full year of passport validity past your departure date, depending on where you're coming from. Now we feel so blessed that a thousand dollar mistake didn't cost us an unforgettable week in Paris because there are so many other people who could have been in our situation and not had the financial resources to get through that. So please, please, please don't be silly like us. Be sure to check the State Department website and make sure you meet all the requirements you need to get out there and explore the world. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to On She Goes, the podcast. We're happy to be back for season four. And until next time, have a good one.